Uh, today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. Our vision, while you're turning there, our vision in New York City, our vision is to see churches started in least evangelized and closed countries of the world. Places where people have little or no opportunity to hear the gospel. So we want to see churches started in these countries. So you're thinking, well, why would you be in New York City? Our, the fact is, is that God is sending thousands and thousands of internationals from these least evangelized and closed countries to us in New York City, and we're trying to reach them here, but we're not just trying to lead them to Christ, we're trying to train them to go back, share the gospel with their friends and family, and see a church started. Crazy, right? Like, is that actually going to happen? And we just got back from uh, a couple of different countries, and we visited three of the churches that were started in different countries as a result of reaching people here and training them to go back and start simple churches, underground churches, because they're not going to open up a building that says First you know, Baptist Church of Iran. Something. They're going to meet in homes, they're going to meet secret, secretly and so forth. So we're teaching people to do this. Um, I'll share a little bit more about that, but I'd like to look at Acts chapter 4. Now, let me just give you a little uh, bit of info about what's happening here. Uh, Peter had just uh, healed someone who was lame, and so everybody was amazed at that. And then he was talking to the people, proclaiming the gospel, and telling people the, about the resurrection in, in, in the name of Jesus. So we're going to pick up uh, in Acts chapter 4, we'll pick up in um, verse 5. Just before this, the leaders arrested Peter and John. It says, so the next day, in verse 5, the elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Talking about the healing. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands healed before you. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by by which man must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Um, Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. But to stop this from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to no longer speak to anyone in the name of Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Okay, the talk, the title that I've given this talk is From Ordinary to Extraordinary. They only have two points. 
Only two points. I don't know if you're used to like four points, three, four, five points. I only have two. Very simple. Very, my, each point will take me about an hour. So just, just that's all. No. I, I, it takes me a lot of words to communicate very simple ideas. No, I'm kidding. I'll try to, be, I'll try to make it concise. The first point, and this is extremely important in our ministry in New York City, but it's also extremely important in anybody's life as a believer. The first point is that God uses ordinary people, just like you and I, to do extraordinary things in His kingdom. God uses ordinary people, just like you and I, to do extraordinary things in His kingdom. Why is it important? The whole theme is mobilize me, but many people think I cannot be used by God. I don't know enough. I'm not mature enough. I have too many issues in my life. I'm too shy. I'm too this. I'm too that. The one thing I hear more than anything else when I try to get people involved in ministry, the one lie that I hear over and over and over and over again is this phrase, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Because they feel like I still have to get certain things in place before God will use me. I don't have those super gifts. I don't, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not ready. And I want to say today that you are absolutely ready. You're ready to be used by God now in Easton. You're ready to be used by God to go overseas. You're ready to be used by God to reach a people group in your area. You're ready to be used by God to reach internationals at Lafayette College. You're ready now to be used by God. Right now. In our ministry, if people don't... Look, we're reaching internationals who might be there for six months to a year, maybe two years, and then they become believers while they're there, and we're asking them to go back and start a church. That's crazy. That's crazy. So one of the things they have to understand from the beginning is, God can use me now to reach my friends and family and see a community of believers, a church started. Let's look at a few examples. Well, what, what was the one thing that they were amazed at? These people in the, the Sanhedrin and the leaders, what were they amazed at when they looked at Peter and John? What does the text say? That they were amazed that these were unschooled, ordinary men. These weren't people who went to college or away to seminary or to some kind of advanced degree to do ministry. No. These were fishermen. These were normal people who hung out at bars before, you know, who, who were just hanging out with friends. And they were normal, regular, everyday, uneducated people. And God used them to turn the world upside down. Let's look at um, John chapter 4. What happens in John chapter 4? Uh, you can turn there if you want. I'm going to try to just remind you of the story. Yeah, it's actually good to turn there because we'll, I'll have someone read something. John chapter 4, it's the woman at the well. Jesus comes to the woman at the well and they have this whole dialogue that Jesus says, I have water that will give you, you know, I have living water to give you eternal life so you don't have to keep coming back to the well. The woman didn't understand. She thought he was talking about physical water. Then Jesus says, go and get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you're now living with is not your husband. She was amazed that he knew this. Anyway, through this whole interaction, she realized that Jesus 
was special. She re we don't actually know exactly what she understood, but God changed her life. Now, you look at the end of the chapter, what did she do when Jesus changed her? What did she do? She went back to the town and told everyone, and what does it say happened when she told everyone? I've got to move this thing. What does, she, what does it say happened when she told everyone about Jesus? It says, many people in the town believed in Him because of her testimony. Do we see that? What verse is that in? 39. John 4, 39. Can someone read that out loud? From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Okay. Here, this woman was used powerfully to see many people come to Christ. Now let me ask you a question. How many years of seminary did she go to? None. How many years of discipleship had she gone through? None. How long was she a believer? Okay, maybe an hour, maybe 20 minutes, maybe 10 minutes. We don't exactly know, but we can tell you this, it was a really short time. She was not concerned, oh no, I'm not ready. She just went and she was willing to share what God had done in her life. And God used her powerfully to change the lives of many people. You see, God uses ordinary people. And listen, this woman, if we were to look a little bit more deeply into this text, this woman was not the respected woman of the town. This woman, in a sense, was the outcast of the town. She went to get water at 12 noon when nobody... All the women went early in the morning, but she was like the, the town... I don't want to say the word. She, she was on her fifth husband, and now she's living with a guy, that, and they're not even married. She was dirt in everybody else's eyes. Who does God choose to use? Now, why does God use people like this? Why does God use people like us? Because when He uses ordinary people, then He gets all the glory. And He's pleased to use ordinary people just like you and I, because then He is glorified most. God uses the foolish things of the world. Let's look at Mark chapter 5. What happens in Mark chapter 5? Remember... Uh, Jesus comes, uh, crosses the water with the, 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 the disciples, and um, then he gets out of the boat, and there's this man who is demon-possessed. He's, he's possessed by a legion, which is a thousand demons. He's possessed by many demons, and he's cutting himself, and he's groaning, and everybody in the town knows that this guy is completely out of his mind. He's ripping his clothes off. They tried to chain him, but he pulls the chains up. This guy's life is completely a mess. It's completely destroyed. Jesus comes... Actually, he, this guy runs. The demons actually come to Jesus and say, What do you want with us, son of the living God? What are you doing here? Why don't you go away? Basically... And then, um, to make a long story short, Jesus changes his life. He casts out the demons in his life. This guy is restored. This guy is healed. He changes this guy's life. And this guy says to Jesus, let me go with you. 
Let me go with you. Let me follow you. And what does Jesus say at the very end of the chapter? He says, no, no. Go and tell your family what God has done for you. I think he might even say, go and tell your family and friends. So can anybody read that? However, Jesus did not perform him or permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord had done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Okay, and it can, can you read one more verse? Continue on. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marked. Okay. This man went, and he didn't only go home, but he went to the Decapolis. Now, Decapolis, it comes, you know, like metropolis, or it's this idea of a city, but a Decapolis is ten cities. So this guy not only went home, but on his way he went through ten different cities telling people about what God had done in his life. And it says many people were, were amazed because of his testimony. God used this guy in powerful ways. It's very interesting, and I'm speculating here, but Jesus crossed the river to, to proclaim the kingdom of God to this whole area, and then he heals this guy, says, you can't come with us, you go, and then he gets back in the boat and leaves. Where's he going? Jesus, I thought you had a mission here. I thought you were coming to proclaim the kingdom of God over here. Why are you leaving? I don't know. But if I were to guess, I would say, because now he has someone who's going to proclaim his works in, in, to the ten cities. And this guy goes out. Now let me ask you a question. How many years of seminary did this guy have? None. How many years was he discipled so that he knew how to share the gospel with people? None. How many passages of Scripture did he memorize so that he could properly, step by step, explain to people how Jesus is the Savior? How many passages did he memorize? None. How long had this guy been a believer? Minutes. <laughs> Minutes. Minutes. And he was used powerfully by God in a, to proclaim the gospel and see people come to Christ. You see, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things if they are willing and just tell people what He has done in their lives. Now, let me just say, I've, I've gone through discipleship courses, I've been to seminary, I went to Bible college. Is all that stuff good? Yes! Should we study the Word? Yes! Sure! Absolutely! Should we memorize Scripture? Yes! I'm not saying forget all of that stuff. I'm saying that don't wait until you do all of these things before you think that then God can use me. God can use you now if you say, I want to be used, and if you are willing, and if you follow His Spirit. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Actually, this is my first point, and I, I just want to make, tell you one or two more quick stories before we get uh, to go to the second point. I'll give you, uh, in New York City, last year, actually about uh, 14 months ago, last April, not this past April, but the one before, um, there was an international student who um, was a graduate student who was studying biology, and he was in a discovery Bible study, and last April he, he prayed and put his faith in Christ, and he got baptized the next day. I started to disciple, and I said,
Write down on a piece of paper the name of 30 names of people who are friends or family of yours who, who need to hear this message about Jesus. So he wrote down the names of 30 people. And then I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit which five he wants you to share with first. And so he prayed a little while and then he circled the names of five people. And I we're going to pray. Whenever we're together, we're going to pray for those people. And now God is using you to proclaim just the good news of what Jesus has done in your life with them. So he started to do this. A couple months later, he, he, he came and he said, My mother, so I guess it's probably June, maybe early July. He said, My mother, he's been, he had been Skyping with his mother in China. So everybody knows Skype? It's kind of like... He's been talk, basically talking to his mother in China through the internet. And after about two months, she put her faith in Christ. Then about a month and a half later, tells me four or five other family members had put their faith in Christ. I said, this is and then about a month later, now it's probably October or November, and uh, another family, the mother, the father, the daughter, put their faith in Christ. So now there's about 10 of them that are meeting together weekly as a community, as a church. They're meeting together weekly, praying and worshiping and reading the Word of God together. I had felt like, wow, they don't speak any English. The main connector. That, you know, I, I had been thinking, boy, it would be great if there. Anyway, I had brought up the idea, what are you going to do over the Christmas break between semesters? Have you thought about going back? He goes, you know, I've been wondering if God wants me to go back, but I'm not sure if He does, so I'm praying, God, do you want me to go back to visit my family during the break between semesters? I had been hoping that he would go back as well. And then about three or four weeks later, he said, I've been praying God answered my prayer, and now I know I, he wants me to go back. I said, well, how did he answer your prayer? He said, I was eating at a Chinese restaurant, and I opened a fortune cookie, and inside it said, you will share good news with the people you love. <laughs> he said, so I know God wants me to go back. I'm like, okay, God can speak through anything he wants. Great, even the fortune cookies, you never know. So he goes back to China, and he baptizes five of those people in bathtubs. Okay? This guy has now been a believer for about eight months. Okay? And he, and he baptized five people. Um, now he's back, and we're discipling. And during our trip to China this past May, I went to visit this new body of Christ, these brothers and sisters who are meeting. And now I'm Skyping with one of a brother from another town who is visiting periodically and, and also connecting with them weekly. And we're coaching and just helping this new body of Christ understand what it means to be a church. They're like, well, what do we even do? They don't even know what to do together. Well, let's look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer and so forth. My whole point in this story is that God used who's now been a believer for about 18 months, whatever that is, less. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things if we say, God, I will follow you. Wherever you want me to go, I will follow. And don't say I'm not ready. Don't say I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm not educated enough or I don't know enough or I haven't been a believer long enough or I can't do this or this or this or this or this. They are all excuses. And they're bad ones. Whatever they are, they're bad excuses. 
I understand the struggle. I understand feeling like, oh. But that's the good news, is that God does it through you. It's not your power. It's not your might. It's the power of the Holy Spirit moving through you to do incredible things. Now this guy came, uh, very quick story. I'm going to try to tell one more quick story. This guy came about three years ago. He came as a law, he was a law professor in China, um, teaching law, obviously. And uh, that's why he's a law professor. Okay, so he's teaching law in China. He comes in September. He joins an English conversation group. Then two or three weeks later, he, later, he joins a Discovery Bible study. These Discovery Bible studies, people are just, we just give certain passages to look at and people hear from God and they look at the Word and so forth. December, actually December 24th, he puts his faith in Christ. Okay? In February... He was baptized. In March, he goes back to China permanently. He was in New York City for six months. He is now leading a house church and leading two different Discovery Bible studies with his law students. God uses ordinary people. And why? Well, one of the important things of discipleship that we really focus on in New York City is God will use you now. God wants to use you now to proclaim the message. Actually, I actually think that the, the earlier, as soon as a person becomes a believer, that that's the best time for them to reach their friends and family for Christ. Never, never, never tell somebody, oh, you're not ready. Okay. Now look, we all have different gifts and we all have to function. But look, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your gifts are, whatever your circumstances are, just tell other people what God is doing in your life. Just tell other people what God is doing in your life. And God will use you if you just tell other people the good things that Jesus is doing in your life. Actually, to be honest with you, one of the things we do in, in coaching people, even if you're frustrated with God, tell other people about that. If, you're say, if you feel like you're praying and God's not answering, talk to your friends about that. Say, man, I, I just feel like I'm praying and I just feel like I, I, God's not hearing me. Tell your friends about that and God will use it to lead them to Christ. We sometimes think, oh, it has to be all good stuff. No, t just tell people about your relationship with God, whatever it is, and God will use it. God will use it. Look at the Psalms. He's often saying, Oh, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Lord, how long will it be before you answer me? Why, do you, why aren't you not hearing me? That's what the psalmist does. God uses that. Alright, let's move on because, uh, wow, I really just ramble. <laughs> Alright, second point. The second point is how does God use ordinary people to do extraordinary things? The truth is that God does use ordinary people, but how does He do it? Well, if you look at chapter 4, I think it's verse 13. Um, what verse does it say? Okay, yes, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay. And you look at that text and you say, well, the reason, the way that God uses ordinary people is, is because we're close to Jesus or they, were, they had been with Jesus. And, and, and that's probably true to a degree, but I want to bring in another reason 
And absolutely, if we are, if we are having fellowship with Jesus, absolutely that will change our lives. But I want to bring in something else that I think is a reason that I think this text kind of indicates, I think is a reason that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um, and I think the, the clue is found in verse 20. 20. Look at what he says in verse 20. I'll start in verse 19. But Peter and John replied, What is right in God's eyes to listen to you or him? You be the judges. Listen to what he says. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's an interesting statement. We can't help ourselves. We can't help ourselves. Maybe if we could help ourselves, we would stop, but we can't help ourselves. Basically what he's saying is, this is out of our control. This is out of our control. It just happens. We just speak. That's, that's weird. We can't help ourselves. What are you saying, Peter? That you just, it just happens? Yeah, we can't help ourselves. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, there's actually another passage in Scripture that says a similar thing in 1 Corinthians. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16 and 17. He says this. Paul says this. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. For I am compelled to preach. I'm compelled. Listen to what he says. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. So what Paul's saying is, if I, if I choose to preach, great. I, I'm blessed, I have a reward. But even if I don't want to preach, even if I don't do it voluntarily, something is still moving me and I end up doing it anyway. Something's happening where I just end up speaking anyway and, I, and I'm discharging the trust of the gospel committed to me. It's very interesting. Paul, Paul here is saying the same thing that Peter said earlier. This is out of my control. That is very interesting. That is very interesting. That's what I want to talk about. The book of Acts is really, it's not really the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit moving through the Apostles and moving them to do the very things that God wants them to do. And my ultimate point at the end is going to be if we will yield to the Spirit's prompting and moving in our lives, and if we continually do that, the Spirit will move us to do things that we would not normally do for His glory. Let's. Um, why were they so compelled to speak? It's interesting. In Acts chapter 2, you can just flip over there, Acts chapter 2, verse 16. If you look right before that verse in Acts chapter 2, you know, at, at that time, people thought that these apostles were drunk. They, they didn't know what was happening. The apostles, the Holy Spirit had come down on them in a powerful way. And they started, actually, 
a miracle of Pentecost happened, which, by the way, is a miracle to reach internationals in an international city because all of these internationals could hear them in their own native languages. It was a miracle. It was God's miracle of reaching internationals and seeing them go back to their countries just as a quick little commercial. All right, sorry. The Spirit comes down. They, they think they're drunk and they say, no, we're not drunk. And then in verse 16, look at what it says. Uh, Peter says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, your sons and daughters. What's it say? Does it say might prophesy? They will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Prophecy is just proclaiming a message of God. When the Holy Spirit comes on you in great power, you will proclaim. You will. Probably one of the most famous missions passages is what? What is the, the, message, the passage that you hear for missions more than anything else? Matthew 28, I heard someone say. Great commission. Great passage. Go into all the world. And that's good. I love that passage. And make disciples. Love that passage. There's one that I think indicates how it happens better. And that's Acts 1.8. Can someone read Acts 1.8 for me? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Okay. You will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. He does not say you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and I hope that then you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say that. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit in our lives is so crucial to empower us to be the spokespersons, the ambassadors, the missionaries that God has called us to be. The Holy Spirit is what qualifies you to go out with power. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes you ready. You see, if the Holy Spirit is moving in your life, you are ready. Period. If the Holy Spirit's moving in your life, you are ready. And He will use you for His purposes. In whatever you know, in whatever personality you have. What, we had a girl last, um, in, in another church, we visited a church in Taiwan. We had a girl who was in a Discovery Bible study. She became a believer. We baptized her. She went back to Taiwan. She's now a part of a house church from another guy who was in New York City who started a house church there in Taiwan. Anyway, she was a part of a Discovery Bible study. Extremely shy. Since then, since then um, she led her sister to Christ. She's baptized the part of the church. Now she's leading a Discovery Bible study 
at her job with several colleagues and they meet every day for lunch. This girl is so shy and I couldn't believe, I was so overjoyed when I heard this news because God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things and she, and we never gave her a plan. Okay, when you go back, you're going to do this and this is, she was a part of a Discovery Bible study. She saw how it happened and the Holy Spirit moved her. And she's just, she started a Bible study with her colleagues. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, but it's the Spirit within us who moves us if we are yielding to Him, if we are keeping step with Him. Keep in step with the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. Do not be controlled by wine, but, con but be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You see, we can resist that. We can... We can we can dull, dull, what's the word? I'm not, not dullify, that's not a word, but you know what I mean, right? Okay, let's use that word. We can dullify our ears so much that we don't hear Him anymore. We become hardened and calloused. And so when the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something, do it. And then you become softer, and then you'll hear Him louder, and then when He prompts you the next time, you'll hear Him, and then you do it. And if we keep walking with the Spirit, we become, our spiritual ears become more in tune, our spiritual antenna, our spiritual eyes start to open. But the more we resist the Spirit, the more calloused we become. Think about the, just talking about the Spirit, talking about the Spirit, how do we know it's the movement of the Spirit in the believers, the disciples' lives, and not just simply being with Jesus? I'll tell you how we know that. When, when the disciples were with Jesus, let's think about their life. They were constantly struggling in their faith, right? Constantly struggling in their faith. When Jesus was in the garden and He was arrested, what did they all do? They all ran away. They all ran away. Peter said, before Jesus was arrested, I will die for you. Then the guards came, and they, people came to Peter and said, Oh, weren't you one of his followers? No. No, I, I'm not one of his followers. No, I think I saw... No, I, I, I don't, I'm not one of his followers. Then a little girl, Yeah, weren't you with him? I don't know him. I don't know him. You see, this is Peter. This was the leader... This is Peter. This is their life before when they're with Jesus. Um, then even after the resurrection, they're all praying. We see in the book of Acts, they're all praying with the doors locked in fear of the Jews, it says. What did Jesus say when He was with them? He said this. Because sometimes we think, boy, if Jesus was here now and I could just walk with Him, boy, then I'd really have my act together. Then I could really walk and, and do everything right. Look at, the, look at the disciples. That wasn't their case. Jesus said this. He said, it is better for you that I go away. It is better for you that I go away because then I will send the Holy Spirit. Things on the outside cannot motivate us. This talk cannot even motivate us unless the Holy Spirit is using you, this or whatever to move you on the inside. That's the difference between living by the law or living by the Spirit. You see, the early church, they never had the Great Commission. Do you know that it wasn't even written down for 30 more years? 30 years! They didn't even have Matthew 28. 
18 through 20. But they did it. Why? Because it was the Spirit moving that within them to do the very commands of God that we have written now. It's saying yes. It's saying, I will follow the Spirit to do whatever He leads me to do, whenever, and I will not say I'm not ready. Because the Spirit can do whatever He wants and He can even use me. He can even use me. And yes, I'll be afraid, and yes, I'll, you know, yes, I'll, I, I won't exactly know what to do, but you just tell what God is doing in your life, and God will use you. The fact is, the fact is, I have two more minutes. The fact is, is that all around us, Luke 10, I think it's verse 3 or 4, I, can't, I don't remember exactly, but one of those verses says this, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. And if you believe that, that will change your, the whole way you look at people around you. Because I think we oftentimes believe, uh, you know, occasionally someone's interested. Let me just say very quickly, I just want to make this distinction because I, I saw a great cartoon in the New York Times probably six or seven years ago. Remember when the movie The Passion of the Christ was out? And I mean, that was a blockbuster. And in, the, in this little New York Times cartoon, it showed a neighborhood with a movie theater and a church right next to it. And in the end of the church were two old people walking with a Bible. And next door was the movie theater with a line around the block of people going to see the Passion of the Christ. And I think the guy doing the cartoon was making a very clear point, And it was this. People are interested in Jesus. People are interested in spiritual things. They're just not interested in church as they know it. So maybe the best thing is not to say, hey, to your unbelieving friend, maybe the best first introduction is not, hey, why don't you come to church? Maybe that's the last thing they want. Does that mean they're not interested in Jesus? No, it doesn't. They could be ready for salvation. They could be ready to believe. But we're equating Jesus with their understanding of the church. Now, once they become a believer, then God will, God will work in them about the church. But inviting people to church is not sharing the good things that God is doing in your life. Just tell them the good things that God is doing in your life. Look, even tell them the things that you don't feel like God's doing in your life, but talk to them about God. And God will use it. Last thing. Last point in that... When the Spirit is prompting you in some way, respond. Respond. And He will use you. If the Spirit is prompting you to share the Gospel with your neighbors, then respond in some way. Share just... share. You don't have to share the full God. Just say, you know, with your neighbor, oh, they say, how you doing? I'm doing great. I feel like God just answered a prayer that I've been praying for for a while. Something like that. Or, if you feel like you're distant from God, you can say, I'm not doing really well. Spiritually, I just feel distant from God. But now we're bringing God into their lives. And if, their spirit, if God is doing something in their life, then they're going to connect with you about that. Do you know, what, you know what I mean? So it doesn't have to be this perfect Christianity that we all feel like we have to present. Or, boy, if we don't present it well, then they're not going to come to Christ. Look, God is at work. And people all around us. Just be real. Be honest about who you are. Be honest. But talk about God. When the Spirit is moving you to talk, then talk. 
If the Spirit is moving you to reach a certain people, then respond. If the Spirit is moving in you now to say, I will go wherever you want me to go, God, whether it's to Africa or China or even New York City, <laughs> I will go. I will go. I will do whatever. And it's just yielding our lives to the Spirit and what He wants to do. That's the beginning of missions. That is missions. Because the Spirit will move you in all, all, all of us in all different directions. But the Spirit will move us to speak about Jesus. He will. He always does. It's responding. Let's pray. And if you, if you feel the prompting of the Spirit, I'm not going to ask anybody to get up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you feel the prompting of the Spirit to, to confess then do that right now. If you feel the prompting of the Spirit to, pro to say, God, I will follow you, then do that. Let's just take a minute to, to do what the Spirit is, to do in our heart at least what the Spirit is prompting us to do. And then I want to encourage you to share that with someone so that you can do it in action. But just listen to the Spirit now for a moment. You're working in the lives of our lives right now. Um, some of us here, here Lord, hear you. And some of us, Lord, we feel like, God, how come I don't hear you? And Lord, the very fact that someone is sitting there and, and is frustrated that they don't hear you, I think is an act of your spirit. To, to, it's a good sign that you're frustrated. If you're frustrated that you don't feel the spirit or hear God, then say it to him, and that's a great sign. That means that God is working in your life. That's good news. Lord, we want, to, we want to follow your Spirit. We want to respond to you, Lord. We confess our calloused hearts. We confess that, Lord. We don't want to live callous lives that are joyless and empty and just go after the same old stuff of money and home and all that stuff which I oftentimes feel myself sucked into, Lord. I don't want to do that. I want to respond to your spirit and go wherever you want me to go. Continue to speak to us, Lord. And Lord, empower us to even yield. That's even hard. Lord, give us the grace to even yield to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.